know, God is uh, uh, in this process of translation. He's laid some specific messages on my heart. And I think that they're uh, uh, designed to, to teach about kingdom living. The last time I spoke about the love of giving. And today I'm going to speak about something that you don't hear much about. I haven't even done much with it, except at particular occasions. So let me first of all start with my scriptures. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out, to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. Sounds like he was lost, wasn't he? Hmm? By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, family. The heirs of him, with him, of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Thank you. There is the reading of God's word today. This is the message. It's not a message about dying. It's a message about living. Most frequently when we talk about heaven, it's at a funeral. It's at the departing of somebody. And I think that's very noble and right. But the thought of heaven, the message of heaven, is not just for dying people. It's for living people. It's for living people. And <coughs> a message like this is important because for a number of factors, but oftentimes we find people searching for the ideal and forgetting that all that is really ideal is reserved for heaven. And when we don't understand that, we send ourselves, you know, on a journey that can often be marked by frequent disappointments. And I think that as we look at our father of faith and discover his motivation in his journey, in his life, if we look at the great apostle of the Old Testament, Moses, we're going to also discover that heaven is a to be a major inspiration, a major influence in our everyday living. When we take the life of Abraham, he was promised a land and in that journey toward that promise, we notice that he dwelt with tents, dwelt in tents, and he built altars. 
This is a picture for you, for me, that we need to understand that we're pilgrims and that we need to be worshipers of God along the way. And so Abraham was promised a land, and he kept walking, looking, and even was in the, the soles of his feet actually set upon that land that God promised him that was earthly. But he kept walking, he kept going, and What's his motivation? Because we know, number one, that land is incredibly important to the Jews. It's in their DNA. They go ahead and, you know, even feel a call to get back to their homeland. But you know, the father of faith, the father of the Jewish race, he did not have his eyes on the promised land so much as the land that was still to come. His motivation, his gaze was upon the heavenly city whose architect was God, whose builder was God. He was on a journey to a land that he had never seen. But he wanted to see. Think about it. It's easy as Christians for us to lose the eternal perspective when the things of earth begin to cloud our eyes. Having been around quite some time, and I myself may even be guilty of this, but it's possible for us to to, to have a more present hope of the things of earth than of the hope of the heavenly home, the eternal things. There's a popular book in which I absolutely love because I understand it. But it's called Your Best Life Now. Your best life now. I believe that the writer was trying to, you know, was, he was trying to go ahead and stimulate us to discover our full potential in the earthly journey. But in the process, the church has lost its view of heaven. And so this morning, my title has two aspects to it. Whatever happened to heaven? And for heaven's sake, for heaven's sake. Abraham believed God in the here and now because of his critical thinking of the eternity and the eternal home. It was his motivation. He said, I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Even with all of the, how can you put it, 
both amazing and yet challenging experiences of life, there was a higher motivation than just the comfort and the blessing, which are amazing on this, this side. There's another character. He's called Moses. And if you look closely, you're going to discover that he also had an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective. It says that when God took him up into the mountain, and in that time that God had him in those 40 days in the mountain, we know that he brought back the Ten Commandments that were written on stone. But there was a lot going on that is just simply kind of penned in Scripture and that we can discover that Moses seems to have had, you know, a, a, a heavenly tour. Because see, when Moses was on that mountain, God was giving him something else. He was giving him a blueprint. A blueprint of a sanctuary or a tabernacle that he was going to build that was supposed to be perfectly and exactly in dimension to the heavenly one. Now Moses did not come down off that mountain with a set of blueprints in his hand. He simply come down off that mountain with the tables of stone, right? But how did he get the picture of the heavenly sanctuary? Hebrews talks about it frequently. The heavenly sanctuary. Well, it's not actually pointed out how he got it, whether he got it by a vision. Because he was in the cloud of glory. Or whether God went ahead and took him by the hand and let him visit the heavenly sanctuary. But it was so important that he saw and understood the heavenly so we could get it right in the earthly. Somebody give the Lord a praise right there. You cannot get it earthly right without a heavenly vision. So, for heaven's sake... Now, I know some people have used that phrase, you know what I mean, in frustration. Oh, for heaven's sake. That's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying it for the excitedness of heaven. We need to reclaim heaven into what's happening. We need to always hold in mind our final destination that the future holds. It is central to our salvation. If in this life only we have hope, we are all men most miserable. Heaven is the pinnacle of eternal life. Titus says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I believe, and 
would imagine that the motivating factor of Abraham when he took his son to the mountain and he placed him on the altar and he tied him there when he was ready to take his life. Not only his faith that God would provide a sacrifice, but his motivation for life was, this is not the end. You can do a lot when you always know there's a tomorrow. And not just any kind of tomorrow. But a tomorrow that is ideal. Ideal. Remember this as a child of God. And that is that life happens for you and not to you. And when we start to see that, you know, life happening to us, Life, well, it gets burdensome. But life happens for you. Romans chapter 8, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. God says life is happening for you. It says that he, he didn't really, you know, he didn't know where he was going, but he knew where he was going to. He didn't really understand the journey, but he had captured the destination. He waited for a city that had foundations whose builder and Maker was God. So even while Abraham was doing life, he was always looking for something greater. He always had heaven on his mind. I remember when I was in my teenage early ministries, the phrase started to run around through the church, you know, in a, in a critical way, and it says that they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. I beg your pardon. Now, you could have a wrong perspective and not be any earthly good. But you get a Bible perspective. You look out earth. Amen? Hallelujah. Absolutely. So that nomadic life that Abraham lived, he lived in tents. The Apostle Paul, I believe it is in Second Corinthians chapter 5, he just lived in a tent. He just living in a tent. You're just journeying. This isn't your final destination. The old tent gets ragged, but the promise of something new never passes away. Abraham is a representative for us. Not only of faith, but faith in life. While he moved in the journey, not as a permanent resident, but as a foreigner, 
He built altars. He worshiped God. That's what you're doing this morning. You're in a tent. But you're worshiping God. You're making a statement, just like Abraham. As the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blues. Abraham was looking for a permanent home. He understood that earth is not in reality your best life now. It is a great life. It is a powerful life. Amen. But it is not your best life. While he was serving the earthly assignment that he had been given, he kept a heavenly view. So let's take a tour of heaven. Not the story of someone that has died and gone to heaven and came back. I don't doubt their stories. I'm not exactly sure if it was heaven that they actually was in. The Bible paints a picture of heaven. Not just in revelations, but in the words of Jesus. Heaven is our homeland. In my Father's house are many Mansions. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The very element of Jesus with his last words to his disciples was, guys, I'm coming back to get you, to take you home. It revolutionized their life. Sadness had set in. Discouragement. What are we going to do now? It inspired their discipleship. It inspired their apostleship. It inspired their evangelism. It inspired their building of churches. There are things that do trouble us. But something about heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, I love the presence of God. I love the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love that he's with me all the time. But it's limited. Heaven. It's not limited. You see, heaven's real place It's a tangible place. It's a touchable place. Heaven is the return of God's normal. Everything that God had created was to be a reflection of the home planet 
heaven till the invasion. You see, heaven is more. It's more than a pearly gate, corner lot. Absolutely. It's more than just a space where God dwells. It's somewhere where God is and we are together. Where the warmth and the wonder of him completely encompasses everything. All things. It will be your best life. Heaven is an eternal city. It is a divine design and construction. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, he has prepared for them a city. God built it. God designed it. Jesus said, I'm going to go put the finishing touches on it. Hebrews 13 and 14 says, we don't have any continuing city here. But we seek one that is to to come. It's a home of relationship. A home of relationship. Matthew chapter 8 verse 11 says this. Come and I'm going to show you. They're going to come from the east and the west, the north and the south. And they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Patriarchs who were the first pilgrims. Did you hear that? They were the first pilgrims. And then, of course, when you move to the book of Revelations, the voice of heaven says, come, and I will show you the bride, a lamb's wife, a home of relationship, a place of unparalleled beauty according to the book of Revelations as you read it. I don't know if this makes any difference to you, but you know how something's built is important. For its longevity. But that place is a place of, in, of instructional integrity and size. It's got 12 foundations. Massive stones. Every one of those stones, if our calculation is right, is 500 miles long. Just the city itself is 2.25 million square miles. There's enough room for me. My son and daughter-in-law were sending us pictures back. They were over in Italy and France, etc., and those, you know, ancient cities and you know, thousands of years old and, and, you know, beauty just for the eye is just amazing. And, and they're just standing there erect, you know what I mean? And just, you know, I'm moved by, by all of the time. They're nothing compared to the city that has foundations. Think about it, church, this morning. It's a place of exclusive or inclusive, rather, happiness. 
And God shall wipe away every tear from their eye. No more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain. Now, nobody's dying this morning, church. We're not preaching the funeral. We're preaching life. God's presence. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. I mean, he's our God now, but imagine. Privileges beyond imagination. He says that I will give to them the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I don't know what it's going to be like, but the light of the city, how different it'll be, but God's the light and Jesus is the, is the lamp. It's a light so amazing that it gives light to the nations as it flows from that. It's a place where we're really fully alive. We've got glorified bodies. I know that's not all that appealing to you. But it was John, chapter John, first John, chapter 3. It said that that's having a change in a new body is part of the love of God. Behold, the manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be like, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And then he goes on to say what that hope does. When you have a heaven hope, your life straightens out. He that has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. What has happened to heaven? Sin is no longer sin. The word of God is no longer exact. John says that when you lose the sight of heaven, you lose your consecration, you lose your dedication. Now, I didn't say you lost your salvation. I'll let Doug take care of that, please. But he that has his hope purifies himself as he is, is pure. Keeps our life on track.
It's a place where you'll serve God as you always wished you could. As you always wish you could. Revelation says we will serve him day and night in his temple. Mm. Heaven helps our decision making so we make the right decisions. It says that Moses, when he became of age, he chose to suffer with the children of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. This is the same Moses that a heavenly, had a heavenly tour of the heavenly sanctuary. It is a place that when we have it, it brings an equalization to the suffering and the difficulties and the traumas of life. Paul said this, the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us over there. What's awaiting you? He says it makes us be able to handle the earthly journey because we have a heavenly destination, a heavenly reward. That's what the future holds. Well, there's a journey between here and now. We need to begin our day in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, Glory be to God. It's easy. It's not hard. Yeah, you still feel the tempt. You still feel, you know what I mean, the dusty earth. You still have to climb the mountains and you have to walk through the valleys. But it all leads home. For heaven's sake. When you have that healthy focus, it encourages the present. Endurance. Paul wrote in Colossians, Karen will ask you to come. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Jesus put it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And all of earth's needs will be gathered to you. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory.
The hope of heaven is important to our earthly journey and the expectation. And I draw your attention this morning to the parable of the unfaithful servant. And that's found in chapter 12. Many of you know that story. It says that when the servant fell into the trap of believing that the master wasn't coming, he got careless with his life. He got careless with his life. Do you see how important that thoughts of heaven and that we value heaven and that we, we go ahead and, you know what I mean, it, it, it's, it's part of our stuff. He cast off restraint. And he lived his life in waste and sin. And that old proverb, just eat and drink, because tomorrow you might die. In other words, get the most out of this life. The only way you can get the most out of this life is to have a focus of that life. The more earthly we think, the more earthly we become. That's why he said, set your affections up there. Notice how that heaven changes everything about how we live today. Hebrews chapter 11, 15 and 16 says, if they wanted to, they could have gone back to the things of this world, but they didn't want to. They were living for heaven and now God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has made a heavenly city for them. I think that God is saying, I, I really want you to be, get excited about coming home. I want it to inspire your journey in the here and now. This is what you've got to look forward to. This is what's coming your way. So how should we live knowing that eternal, eternal destination is in heaven? Well, Peter said something like this. Dear brothers, you are only visitors here since your real home is in heaven. I beg you, keep away from the evil pleasures of this world. They are not for you. For they fight against your very soul. So we must not become distracted by temptation. Number two, we must not be cut discouraged by trouble. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles are all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys will come. But joys to come will last forever. I grew up with a lot of heaven on our minds in the church. 
And I think that is still right. It's still right. It's not an escape. It's a reward. Yes. I believe that the it's your best life now should inspire us to unlock us see unlock the potential that we have in our journey. But we should not be so focused on the best life here that the heaven life gets hazy. Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he tells us to focus on our energies, focus our energies on, on what will last. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. For heaven's sake. For heaven's sake. What happened to heaven? When's the last time? You thought about heaven. See, heaven's not just for old people. <laughs> it's not for, just for gray heads to think about. No. You see, Abraham taught his kids, Isaac and Jacob, you know, about what the true land really was. We're not looking. And I say this respectfully, but just as a case of point, I'm not looking for an earthly Jerusalem. I'm looking for a heavenly Jerusalem. I'm not looking for an earthly land of promise. I'm looking for a heavenly land of promise. Brethren, can you see Paul preaching to the church at Corinth? He talks about the Christ, his sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. And he says, Brethren, we shall not all sleep, others we not, shall not all die. But even if you do, it's not going to hinder you getting there. For the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with the Lord. So shall we forever be with the Lord. Therefore, Comfort one another with these words with heaven. For heaven's sake. Stand with me today. Hallelujah.
Jesus, when he said, don't let your hearts be troubled, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm going to re receive you. Hallelujah. I don't know when. The church Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. And we're going to be called on to meet the Lord in, in the air. Amen.